0: I'd like to read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, the king of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build again in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself? Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. So as we enter in to the story of the rejection, suffering, crucifixion, and burial of Christ tonight, it's obviously, a huge story, a story that's changed the world, and there are so many different ways of understanding the meaning and significance of the story that we're here to celebrate tonight. I want to break down just a few of those perspectives and then focus in on one for a few moments tonight. One of the angles that we can look at this story from is the angle that the Jesus' suffering and rejection were for us, that he willingly laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sins, and because he endured the wrath of God for the sins of the world, that those of us who are in him, now we don't have to suffer, that Jesus suffered and died. The cross is for us. That's one way to look at it. Another way is that the cross is with us, if you will. That as Jesus is rejected and suffered, suffers and dies, he is suffering along with us. As God, in the form of a human, he is experiencing the worst kind of human pain, the excruciating pain of crucifixion. And we could say that he is suffering with us. And so now when we suffer, we know that we're not alone. And a third perspective that's by far the hardest for us to embrace is that Jesus' suffering and rejection, that the cross is not only for us and it's not only with us, but it's actually by us, meaning we are the ones who do that to Him, that His blood is on our hands, so that we are not just the beneficiaries of the cross, but we are also the culprits. Now, which of these three understandings of the cross, that it's for us, with us, or by us, is correct? Well, they all are, right? But I want to focus in on the third one for tonight, not to heap a bunch of guilt on us, but because I believe that if we can come to see Jesus suffering and death as something that we have done to him, then and only then are we able to see that it is something that is done for us and with us. And so the picture that we get of Jesus in Isaiah 53 is that this is a man of sorrows. A man who was despised, rejected, oppressed, afflicted. A man who knows pain and suffering very well. And then in Mark 15, we see this actually being played out. Isaiah's prophecy from many centuries before comes to pass as Jesus is mocked, and beaten, and ultimately crucified between two criminals. A horrible, shameful death. The worst thing that can happen to a person is to be so hated by people who you love that they nail you to a tree They put you in a place where they don't have to deal with you anymore. Let's talk about those nails for a moment. The people who crucified Jesus, as we know, used nails to keep him where they wanted him. Nailed to a cross, he was out of their way no longer capable of disrupting the empire. The nails were their way of excluding Jesus from their lives and not having to deal with him anymore. And so in that sense, if we're honest, nailed to a cross is exactly where we want Jesus. When he's nailed even as Christians, what that means is that our sins are forgiven and we get to go to heaven, but we don't have to worry about him interrupting our daily lives. When he's nailed, we're safe from him. We're free from him. We get to ignore him. When Jesus is nailed, he can't ruin our fun or change our plans or challenge our choices. That's exactly where we want him. If he weren't nailed, then we'd be forced to deal with him, wouldn't we? He would contradict us. He would confront us. He would challenge not only our actions, but the reasons we do the things we do. But as long as he's nailed, he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's saving us from sin. And as long as he's nailed, we're free from all of his expectations for us. He can't ask anything of us when he's nailed. And so if we're honest, we choose to nail Jesus down all the time, don't we? We ignore him. We disobey him. We want him tamed, confined to that little compartment of our lives called religion or church, but not allowed to touch anything else. We don't want him intruding or disrupting. We don't trust him. We don't want him. And so we nail him to a cross and confine him to his place as our Savior, but not as our Lord. And so this is what Martin Luther meant when he wrote, we all carry around in our pockets his very nails. So Jesus' rejection, suffering, and death were done by us, and they still are. As we lean farther into this story, we find that though it was our nails that put him on the cross, it wasn't the, our nails that kept him there, was it? As Jesus hangs there between these two criminals on Golgotha, the crowd gathers around and hurls insults at him, mocking him, making fun of him, saying, "If you really are the son of God, come down from that cross." And saying, "If he he, sa- he saved others, but he can't save himself." Do you think Jesus could have come down from that cross had he wanted to? Well, of course he could. In an instant, he could have called legions of God's angels to come and to rescue him. He could have saved himself, but he didn't. And it wasn't the nails that kept him there. It was his passionate obedience for his father and his great sacrificial love For the world, for you and for me, for the very ones who wanted him dead. And so without even knowing it, those who were mocking him that day are actually revealing the uniqueness and the power of Jesus' death and why it matters. In their spiritual blindness, they are in effect expressing this incredible theological truth that it's precisely because Jesus cannot save both himself and us. It's precisely because he refused to save himself that he's able to save you and me. And so yes, while it's true that we chose for Jesus to die and we still do, Jesus also chose to die for us. And so the glorious irony of Good Friday, of this moment, and this story, is that as we confess our guilt in Jesus' death, at the exact same time, we also receive his grace and forgiveness of all our sins, including our sin of nailing him to the cross. After all, remember what Jesus prays for those who crucified him. Father, forgive them they don't know what they're doing. And so you can see, you can start to see at least, that once we own the fact that it was our sin and rejection of Christ that puts him on the cross, we are now free to see ourselves as the recipients of all the blessings, of all the love, of all the grace that that cross now gives to us. That it truly was Jesus dying for us, suffering for us, absorbing God's wrath for us, so that we no longer have to live in the fear of punishment. And when we follow him and worship God, we don't do so out of guilt or obligation or duty, but we do so out of joyful hearts and out of deep gratitude for all that it cost Christ. And not only did he die for us, but he suffers and dies with us as well. So that now we, whatever goes on in our life, or even bigger than that, whatever goes on in the world in the worst cases of injustice and oppression and human suffering, we don't get to say, God, don't you care about all this? Don't you care about disease and terrorism and war and torture? Where are you, God? We don't always know why God allows evil and suffering in this world, but we do know why we, we do know what the reason isn't. The reason isn't that he doesn't care about human suffering, because on the cross he experiences the worst kind. And so when we suffer, and when we walk with those who suffer, we know that we're not alone. And so what the gospel does is this incredible thing. On one hand, it insults us. It confronts us. It lowers us. We were so bad that we killed God. And at the exact same time, on the other hand, it exalts us. It lifts us up and it invites us to this incredible place that even though we're so bad that we killed God, we are so loved that he died for us. And it's awkward. It's always awkward. Because you would never pour a fine wine into a dirty glass. And yet Jesus has poured his life into us. So Ben is going to share a song that he's written especially for us tonight. And we'll uh, do a couple more things, but ultimately tonight will be an invitation to the table to receive the body and blood, the very life broken for us. And uh, in a few moments, I'll come back out and lead us into that.